Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hot Mike with Hunted Withrow. Just like that, the second hour is here. Big day. We've got uh, Roma Dunze straight ahead. Uh, that's coming up in about 15 minutes. We have Orlando Brown Jr. and Clay Travis all this hour. Plus, a man named Tank. You got a familiar face yeah. between us right now. Tank Williams joins us to kick off hour number two. Good to see you, man. Oh, yeah. Always uh, good to hop on with you. Good to see you, buddy. I'm going to get to some parties in a moment. Mm -hmm. What's your real first name? I've never asked you this. <laughs> it's Cleveland. It's French. Okay. Yeah. When's the last time someone called you Cleveland? Never. Never? Even my teachers in high school. Tank. Ele elementary school. How'd you get tank. the name? Because when I was a baby, I drank so much milk, my sister told my mom to give me a tank of milk. And my dad was the coach at the local high school, so okay. once he said it to one student, everybody in the whole I, town I, called me. I love that. How would people pronounce your name when you were in elementary school if they saw Cleveland? Because I would not say uh, Cleveland Cle if I saw that. Cleveland? Clay Clayvon? Cleveland, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Didn't get the proper French pronunciation is nah. what we're hearing, right? <laughs> uh, it'd be unbelievable. If it's, uh, does your press pass say tank? I actually has Cleveland on it, I believe. <laughs> yeah. So then I just roll around incognito. People are like, who in the hell is yeah. Cleveland? Yeah. <laughs> uh, take with uh, Bally's and BetMGM live uh, on the line is the program. You can catch him with all kinds of things, fantasy. Uh, sports bets, and more. Um, tell me about, let's say, back in the day, okay? You're a family man. Oh, a lot you. of a lot Appreciate of, it. You got kids. You're going back early, I believe, mm -hmm. right? Back in the day, the, the deal was you would go to the location of the Super Bowl, yeah. right? And then from there, you would fly here to Las Vegas. Yeah, so that was the thing. They would tell you that you weren't allowed to sell your tickets, but since I'm far removed from the NFL, Let's we go. would get our NFL Super Bowl tickets, and we would go to the site of the Super Bowl, sell our tickets, and then that would be our spending money for coming That's here to Vegas and partying up for What the would game. you get for them? That's the thing. I was trying to recall. I think maybe three or so, something like okay. that. I heard the numbers right now are ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and are they good seats you get? Like, they're, they're just like, okay. But people want to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, the only the thing building. that we would hope for is like, man, Patriots, please. Like, if we're not going to the Super Bowl, yeah. at least let the Patriots go to the Super Bowl because then you know the ticket price is going to get Imagine if this was Lions-Browns this year here. Hey, those fan bases may go crazy for it, man. Yeah, a lot it, of fights. It, yeah. be awesome. Bills line. Or, yeah. yeah. I mean, anything. So, uh, do you get those tickets just by asking for it, or do you pay for them up front through the, through the we players? Just, we, just, we got them. They just came as being the player. I think every player gets two tickets to the Super Bowl. Did the NFL teams give you tickets every week, or do you pay for those? I feel like I they pay for them. I think you get four complimentary tickets, and any additional ones you have to pay for. All these for. upper decks are empty anyway. They're I mean, they may have changed now. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm an old dog. Now. I don't think they've changed. I think they charge more now. Okay. We, we, <laughs> we haven't had a, a chance, really, to preview the game much. Yeah, so you're right. I, I, I want to ask Tank. You know, what, what is the one area you're looking at the most in this matchup between these two teams that you think is going to affect the game? I think for the 49ers to win, they need to lean heavily on Christian McCaffrey because you saw the Buffalo Bills have so much success against that Chiefs defense running the ball effectively, whether it's Josh Allen, Ty Johnson, James Cook, it didn't matter. If they had the ball in their hand, they was toting that thing against the Chiefs. So I expect Kyle Shanahan to be stubborn with the run, and that way you protect Brock Purdy early because Brock Purdy has some 
turnovers against the Green Bay Packers. He should have had two against the Detroit Lions. Brandon Ayuk broke up one ball down the sideline, then the ball went off a guy's face mask, yeah. and he made a you know amazing catch. So that should have been two interceptions. So he's going to try to protect the ball, protect Brock Purdy, and by doing that, you run Christian McCaffrey. And if McCaffrey runs the ball effectively and the 49ers win, more than likely Christian McCaffrey is going to be MVP. If someone came to you and said, in a few amount of words, describe Brock Purdy as a quarterback, mm -hmm. right, the fewest amount of words you can think of to describe him, how do you describe him, what he is, what he brings to the table, and you can expound upon it after that, but, you know, you hear terms like system quarterback thrown mm -hmm. out, right, overachiever, what – or elite with the stats he had this year. Yeah. Where do you fall on the, the Brock Purdy debate? I think at this young part of his career, he's Tom Brady-like. I think people we like to compare. earlier this week. People yep. like to try to compare Patrick Mahomes to Brady, and I understand the narrative because of the success that Patrick Mahomes has had at an early age. But I think when Brady got drafted in the third round, Brock Purdy being Mr. Irrelevant. Yep. And so this guy comes into a situation where we've seen guys like Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo not be able to have the success that he had in Kyle Shanahan's offense. So he's a guy who's just overachieved, and he continues to live and rise up to the moment. Well, there's a real mirror there, too. Brady in year two takes over for Drew Bledsoe, wins the Super Bowl with that late drive, Adam Vinatieri kick, right? Mm -hmm. This is year two for Brock Purdy. And Brady early on, people forget this, but you're spot on. He was a game manager. He was yeah. just get out of the way and let the defense Absolutely. do the job. He became a different Tom Brady. He had Later really three different versions of his career. Yeah. But in phase two and three is where he became I, I would tell you goat. this. I remember my uh, second year, my, my first year in the league, we went up to New England the year they won the Super Bowl. Yep. And they beat us. And I remember uh, Samari Rose saying, I can't believe we got beat by Tom Brady. Like, who in the <laughs> hell is Tom Brady? Yeah. And then now, 27 years later, it's like, yeah, yeah, that was Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah. Hey, how about these comparisons? I, um, I'm trying to update this in real time. Uh, Mahomes, 72 and 22, regular season record. Brady, 70 and 24. Mahomes, 15 and 3 playoff record. Brady, 12 and 2. Four AFC titles for Mahomes, three for Brady. Two Super Bowl rings for Mahomes, and you've got the rings for Brady. I mean, this is, by the way, just the first six years, I should say. Yeah. First yeah. six years of his career in lockstep. Yeah. Identical. Three for Brady in the first six years. Touchdown interception ratio. 258 to 69 for Patrick Mahomes compared to 167 and 87 for Tom Brady. Yeah. Quarterback rating. Mahomes, 103.7. Hot country, 103.7. And you have an 88.4 quarterback rating for Brady through six years. To your point. It's Different players, too, though, right? Yeah, when I mean, because actually, Brady. like, Brady ramped up later in his yeah. career. When he, yeah. Like you said, when he started off, he was I love like how we say ramped manager. up. He's already won three Super Bowls here. Yeah. yeah but we're, you know, no, we're heavily, talking about, yeah, we're talking about oh, Brady ramped it up. Yeah. yeah. Statistically. Right. But where Mahomes is. is I think he is, can catch him. It's ridiculous. He's got to win this game. And, and that's the thing, too. I think a lot of people are trying to put Mahomes in the GOAT status too soon. Like, he's, on, like he's already a really great player. Yeah. He's not. He hasn't eclipsed Brady as the GOAT yet. Yeah. Best quarterback that wasn't Brady that you played against? Just personal. Like, you, you always had your number. Peyton. We had to play Peyton twice a year. <laughs> yeah. And I think the How first year. How hard was it to fool him? That's what you hear very from tough. players. My like first you just game, couldn't ever I mess blitzed them up. him and I, I hit him and bull, Keith Bullock picked the ball up and scored a touchdown. That was the last time I feel I touched Peyton Manning. <laughs> And then the next thing I know, a year later, I'm on a direct TV commercial because he threw a <laughs> touchdown on me, maybe the Dallas Clark or someone like that. You got a prediction for the game? If I'm leaning one way, it's Kansas City Chiefs because I believe Spags 
Changes up enough to confuse Brock Purdy. Still a couple possessions, and then Patrick Mahomes steals the deal. Tank, I know you got another interview to get to, man. Thank you so much for doing this. My good, man. good doing this in person. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Man. A pleasure Great to see you. Zoom. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Clevon, Cleveland, Cleveland, <laughs> all of it. Cleveland, Cleveland, Letanya. That's my French version. Cleveland Williams. <laughs> Do you speak a lot of French? I did in high school and forgot all of it. Nice. Well, that's pretty good accent work right there. So I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. I still remember the I accents think. a little yeah. bit. Thanks for doing that, man. Appreciate <laughs> you. Thank you. Uh, one of our favorites on the show, Tank Williams, uh, who should join us more often, quite frankly, Chad. He's great. Yeah, he's, he's really good. Um, the thing, too, to remember about Brady and Mahomes, every era that we're discussing is a Hall of Fame worthy era for them. They, uh, you know, Brady had three. Mahomes will, too. Hopefully he's not injured and this crushes everything, you know. Chad, uh, coming up in just a moment, uh, Roma Dunze will join us. Some top headlines today uh, mentioned to start the show. Nick Saban, college game day. We love it. Um, don't care that it's a Bama connection and, well, you know, it's the SEC and ESPN and they're in partnership. We need leadership, not partnership. Yeah, he, he's the guy. He's, I mean, it's just it's, it's so – it just when – I, when I read the report, I'm thinking, of course – yeah. This is the this he was born for this spot at 72 years old to transition from greatest college football coach of all time to the preeminent college football pregame show. And mentioned in the statement what college game day has done for college football popularity. I mean, he's spot on and, correct. And now when he you think to... about the phenomenon of people showing up early in the morning, them coming to your campus, all of that. It's been a big part and, of the the fabric of college football yes. and now Nick Saban's a part of that, and I think it's a win for everyone. And he can look into a camera, and I think he could be a part of setting the path towards the fabric of the NCAA slash power, com- whatever, super yeah. conference moving forward. Here's what I would like to see. We're seeing the partnership now, Big Ten, SEC. Yes, yep. I'd like for that partnership to include a paid consultant fee to Nick Saban or a Nick Saban. I think you get people outside of the conference structure also, former coaches, yeah. administrators, and say, all right, we're going to pay you to be a part of these talks also, right? And, and try to navigate a path to something that everyone can be okay with, understanding the reality that college athletes are going to get paid. Yep. Chad, uh, the family of the, uh, the kid that was accused of blackface has done what we all expected they would do. They've sued Deadspin. Uh, so this is this past November. Deadspin posted uh, an article that was framing uh, uh, falsely framing uh, the nine-year-old Kansas City Chiefs fan. As a racist. Yeah, uh, in blackface because he was dressed as a Native American at the, the game. I mean, he's in gear, and he's got his you know, face planted, uh, painted black. You have, uh, you have the piece that showed the, the kid's picture, claimed that the, at, on Deadspin, claimed that the fan hates black people and the Native Americans at the same time. Well, this past Monday, the parents... Arminta is their last name. The Armentas fought a lawsuit against Deadspin and uh, their parent company, uh, was it Geo Media, I believe? Yep. Uh, maliciously and uh, maliciously attacking their son. The family confirmed uh, the legal action to outkick. And here's, this is here's the statement, uh, part of the complaint, okay? And this is spot on. Okay. By selectively capturing from the CBS broadcast an image of H.A., that's the child's initials, yep. not putting his full name, showing only the one side of his face with black paint on it, it was an effort that looked laser-focused precision to accomplish given how quickly the boy appeared on the screen. So selective capturing of that image. 
Phillips and Deadspin deliberately omitted that half of H.A.'s face with red paint on it. H.A. did not wear a costume headdress because he was taught hate at home. He wore it because he loves the Kansas City Chiefs football team and because he loves his Native American heritage. Another part of this is he actually has Native American yes. heritage, which goes back to stop assuming everybody's racist. But that, that's the problem with and this premise to begin with is assuming a child is racist because they're supporting their favorite football team, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. They're going to win. It's probably going to be a settlement, I'm guessing, in some way, but I don't see how they don't win this, well, this complaint. They posted this on November 27th. They didn't yeah. take it down until December 7th. They left it up, photo and all, until the family threatened legal action. Yeah. Full story at outkick.com. Chad, one of the top receivers in college football sat down with us yesterday. Washington wide receiver, Roma Dunze. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow rolls on here across the Outkick Network. Outkick.com slash watch is where you can watch us and stream the show live each and every day, 4 o'clock Eastern. Chad, um, the guy sitting next to us is going to sign an NFL contract soon in Sharpie, his name. Uh, Roma Dunze. Uh, you, welcome, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I feel very confident saying right. that he's, he's going to be he's, drafted. He's got yeah, that. That's, that's one. <laughs> How, I'm not great with predictions, but I, I feel like this guy's going to get drafted. pretty solid. That yeah, yeah. Solid. It's a pretty solid Are, prediction. Pretty solid <laughs> spot you're in, too, man. Yeah, yeah it's sure. not bad. Yeah. Are you surprised as I am? So many people here say they're from Vegas. Uh, that's picked up on yeah. This guy is, too. What's it I like know. being from Vegas? It's awesome. I'm glad to hear that you know people out here are from are have been from Vegas. That's that's awesome. The, the city is growing, but it's awesome. I mean, a lot of people think I'm I was at the strip, you know, every weekend as a <laughs> as a 12 year old, you know, or something growing up. But you know, it's fun. You know, on the outskirts, it's just like any other old town. You know, super super uh, convenient. Um, we got everything out here. Um, it's it's my home city, and I and I rep it and I rep it wherever I go. So uh, <laughs> I love it. I've I've seen Dana White roaming around here. Uh, Bishop Gorman alum. That's a heralded program that you were a part of. What was it like being a part of that program, and how much did that help you in college? It was awesome. It was awesome. You know, it, it, it prepared me for the life that, you know, college college is, you know, from, from a high-level, you know, performance like football stand, standard, but also schooling. You know, it's a, a very prestigious um, high school, and, you know, it, it kind of helps that transition of going from, from high school to college to just be that much more seamless. So, um, so many legends that have come through through there, it, it's been awesome. So, to have that standard to, to, to be there and, and uh, to have the success that I had there, it, it was great. Are you over the, the game against Michigan? Am I over it? Uh, I don't think I'll ever be over you that Do you think one. about it often, or is, <laughs> are you kind of cooled off about it now? Uh, I mean, I'm cooled off about it, but, you know, I, I'm watching film regularly, just, you know, preparing for the, for the draft and trying to find little subtleties in my game to try and fix, and, you know, that game in, includes some of those. So yep. um, it's going to burn forever. It's going to burn until I'm, you know, six feet under. I, that, that's just the way I am. I hate to lose. So, But, um, you know, I, I've come to peace with it. I think your quarterback got screwed out of the Heisman. I've been very vocal yes. about that. I thought he was the most valuable player, best player in college football all year. You knew that you guys had a chance to be really special, right, coming into this season. And then it started hitting early that, oh, Washington is going to be right there in the end. How quickly did you know, even previous season, going into that season, that this could be something really special for the school? Right. I think, you know, even in the previous season, the 2022 season, you know, we, we only lost two games, but those two games, it was like everybody felt like we could have won those games as well. And we were just on the brink of being able to pack 12 championship, which could have carried us to the to the playoffs again. So I think we had that. We just had to put our head down and, and you know, make sure we, we – 
got rid of those mistakes that prevented us from being that much, you know, uh, being that close from from getting there, but actually being in there and uh, having those opportunities. So I think as soon as, you know, we were all stepped in the facility and we, we got to see, like you said, the, the, the best player in college football last year, Michael Penix, uh, sling the rock and the improvements to our defense, it was, we, we all knew. What was your reaction when you heard DeBoer was going to Bama? Oh, I was, uh, I was shocked. I was shocked. Um, you know, I, I thought he was going to be there for, for a long time. Um, and I, and I love Washington, and I think, you know, Coach DeBoer is a great coach. So, you know, to, to see him go and not knowing the future of what Washington, yeah. you know, what's going to look like and just, the, you know, how, how crazy the transfer portal is right now and all the players leaving and all the players entering the draft, I was, it, it, it hurt a little bit just because, you know, I didn't know what the future of Washington was going to be. But, you know, it's all settled, you know, it seems like now, and I'm excited for both. You know, mm-hmm. DeBoer is a great coach. He's going to have tremendous success at Alabama. You know, Coach Fish is over there at U- UW. His pedigree is high and I'm super excited for, 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 for both programs. Are you getting positive feedback from guys still on the team about Coach Fish I am. coming in? I am. Yeah, a couple of wide receivers have hit me up like, man, we're, we're, we're excited. We're going to go do that. We're, we're determined. And that room, you know, I don't know what it is, regardless of, you know, the coaching staff and everything that comes in there, man, that that, that room, the, the, the people that, you know, enter that locker room, it's a tight knit and, it, it, and it's a culture thing over there. And and you can recognize that when any, when any of my brothers are along, you can see the connection that we have. So, you know, they're, they're still going to maintain that close relationship. And I think that, you know, that they'll carry them to have success. Well, the reaction whenever Washington's headed to the Big Ten, you know that's coming. You're, you know, you're not going to be a part of that. Was it more exciting with the program or is it like, are you bummed about the Pac-12? I'm excited. Oh, I mean, it's both. It's, it's both. Cause, but you the, know, the energy's there, right? Yeah, the energy's definitely there. I mean, football's still going to be played, right? It's not like, you know, our, our program is going to be oh, abolished. Big time. And, and all the teams in the Pac-12 are going to be playing football still, right? You know, maybe to, to a different Checks degree, are going to be but. bigger, too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. For Washington. That's true. Yep. That's true. The the TV contracts, you know, everything's going to get a little bit bit, little bit bigger, which I think is good. You know, we even experienced last, last season when we went to the national championship. I mean, we were still being slept on. So um, to be able to have that, um, that, that platform, to be able to – go play those teams out east and uh and uh highlight the program which i which i know will happen i think it's a good opportunity going through the draft process now getting ready put the hat on right now of we're coaches talking to you and i come to you in a meeting room and say describe what washington's offense was what what was it and how did that offense prepare you for the next level I think it was an offense that, you know, had so many different factors in, in the run game and in the passing game, so many different things that you had to learn in an offense that was um, um, not easy easy to learn. You know, you, you had to know the nuances of it, and, and the, it, it, there was receivers tagged and different, you know, pr- uh, protections being called in every single play and, and the concepts, crazy concepts, every, every single week that were changing and, and tempo plays that were changing every single week. So from an information standpoint, it was everything that I think in an, in an F- NFL offense um, was there, and I, I learned that, and I was able to have success in it. So I think I'd be able to do the same thing in the, in the NFL. Why did? Why do you think Washington had so many doubters? Chad and I did not doubt you guys. You're underdogs. You yeah. guys lost for the first time in over a year, right? And there is still this underdog factor to it the yeah. entire way. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's kind of like a West Coast bias. I think people, you know, football has taken off. You but know, if it was Oregon, everywhere. if it was Oregon, if roles were reversed, Oregon, right? 
that, I mean, they, you were heralded. Your team was heralded for beating them. And twice. people were surprised when you beat them. Yes. Like, you beat them one yeah. time. Yes. Yeah. And we, then when you beat them again, it's people. How, how did that happen? Yeah. Well, it already happened once. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's because we're we, we're not flashy. I think it's just because you know we're, we're, we don't got the million uniform combos. We're not we're not in your face with everything. We just we just go out there and play ball. And I think that you know with how big media is nowadays and everybody looking for the clicks and the reactions, we're we're just not kind of that crew. We're, we're going to go out there and we're going to highlight ourselves on the field. And I think that. Um, a lot of that kind of comes with some negligence in, in, in media and people mm -hmm. you know, having their yeah. opinions and wanting to push things forward that they see often and stuff like that. So I think it's a conglomerate of factors, but um, I think they, they sleep on us. We're out there in Seattle, we're Pacific Northwest, we're, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a, glo a gloomy town sometimes, but you, know, you can't forget about us. We're, we're out there. Is there a current NFL receiver you watch, or maybe even a past one, and you say, I, I want to be that guy. I, I can mm -hmm. be that guy, and I want to be this player. If I had to pick anyone, I would probably say uh, Julio Jones. I just feel like, you know, his impact on the, the, the generations after him, his impact on the game, you know, even to this day still playing um, is incredible. You know, his ability to do it at, at a size that I'm similar to, um, his speed, his ability to attack the ball in and out of breaks, I think it was special and something I would try and uh, emulate in my game. Final thing for you, um, and I hope you'll be legit because I'm curious about this. Did you change the signs to your offense prior to play, playing Michigan? You know, we didn't change too much. We didn't. You didn't think about much. it. We we did. They definitely did. When we we took some approaches to to change a lot of things. But for us, our signs uh, changed a good bit. Like um, throughout throughout the season, and and different things come up um, from some of our calls. So we we changed it. We changed um, a good amount of things. But it wasn't like we revamped the whole thing. Out of the but, norm. Yeah. It wasn't out of, out of the norm. It wasn't completely. Yeah. Out of the. But norm. was it a little bit out of the norm? It, it well, was a little, little bit, bit more. I would okay. say a little bit. A little bit of awareness. A little bit course, more than we, you would we, do week to week. Yeah. Exactly. Because of course, I mean, and we had the, the preparation. Yeah, you um, had like 30 yeah, days or exactly. whatever. Exactly. So to, to get it done, so there was a little bit of a, a switch up, but um, but yeah, <laughs> that's a. Crazy I mean, I would be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You had to, right? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Hutton pointed out a lot of these sponsorships come with some crazy outfits and shirts. Right. People are forced to wear. This is a nice look. Yeah, I said this yeah. is the best with, on with radio. With Sharpie. So tell yeah. tell us. I know you're here with Sharpie. Tell yeah. us about that. No, it's awesome. Now, I mean, they got me dripped out in the Sharpie Adidas <laughs> collab, and it's awesome. But you know, they they don't just do awesome collabs. They do um, awesome pens and and, and markers and. Um, I'm here with them. You know, they're going to be along my journey. When, when I sign my first contract, it'll be with Sarpy just because it, it's an elite pen. You know, no smear, no smudge, no yeah, bleed. It, you know, I, it's, it's legit. It, it's, it's legit. And when I'm taking my notes, you know, preparing, you know, for another team, watching my film, taking my notes, um, I need something that I'm not going to have to, you know, shake up and, and worry about bleeding onto the next page. And this S-Gel pen right here does it for me. Um, and every time I'm signing the autographs after, after, after those games, it's with Sharpie. So I'm excited to work with them. It's awesome. They're partnered with? Uh, Michael Pinks Jr. as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we're here together, so yeah. um, I get to With see him. With the Rookie him. of the Year program. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bonus. It's awesome. Hey, uh, great to meet you, man. It's good to meet you. Congrats on all the success, and it's going to be awesome through the draft process. It's a blur, though. Thank you. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy process. Where are you trading? I'm, gonna, I'm out in Irvine, California okay. with XL. So, yep. It's a good spot. Good spot. They, they, they do it well. So I'm out here training with, uh, with Coach Va at Game Changers. If you're in Vegas and you need um, to, mm -hmm. to train, Coach Va at Game Changers got, it, got, a, got a good setup. So um, that's, my, that's, my, that's my dog from, from high school. So I'm Ro staying on it. Roma Dunze, uh, courtesy of Sharpie, with us here on Hot Mike. Uh, stay tuned. A lot more coming from Radio Row here at Outkick.com.
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Great catching up with Roma Dunze, who is impressive, dude. Yeah, uh, next in the lineage of solid wide receivers entering the yeah. National Football League. Yeah, man. Well, he uh, compares himself to Julio Jones, his favorite receiver, is what he wants to be in the league. The, the talent, not a bad comp on that offense. It is crazy to me how much they were overlooked. Michael yeah. Penix Jr., him. I mean, they they had four legit NFL wide receivers in that offense. It's it's incredible, and he is. A legitimate no doubt. number one receiver option for some NFL team coming up in the draft. We have a, a legitimate uh, offensive tackle coming up on the show. But first, uh, just a real quick reminder, outkick.com slash watch. Each and every day you can catch every show that streams live. You can get that, uh, and it airs for you. Outkick.com slash watch. You go to the page, scroll up, click the watch tab, and there you go. You've got uh, any show that is streaming at that time, you get it there. Plus, it's on demand there. Scroll down, and then you can scroll over, find the show you would like, hit hot mic, all the shows, full shows on demand. Plus, a reminder, uh, podcasts are available. Download yeah. any audio podcast that you would like uh, from wherever you download your audio on all it's podcast a solid reminder. platforms. Yes. Chad, uh, a solid reminder that we are not pro athletes is uh, someone we caught up with earlier. And, well, he's an offensive tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, by far uh, the biggest human being in the room right now is Orlando Brown Jr. <laughs> Cincinnati He's Bengals definitely the biggest human lineman. being at this table. No <laughs> there are some other big men here. Have you seen Cam Newton walking around? Uh, that dude is huge. He looks yeah. like a defensive end. You are an offensive tackle. Yes. He looks like an offensive tackle yeah, walking man. around here. No, he's huge, man. He's uh, Cam Newton is, is my favorite player, nice. uh, believe it or not. So uh, I remember the first time I seen him at University of Auburn in person, I was like, bro, this guy is huge. So he's a very large individual, size of most DNs, I would say. I, I totally agree. And yeah. seeing him play, uh, where he's you know goal line, yeah, linebackers. When the linebackers were you know big, oh yeah, they they he dwarfed them. Oh yeah, he's huge. He's huge. A freak athlete. Can I mean he can do anything with the ball. So like, you have had a chance to play and block for Lamar Jackson, mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes, yep. Joe Burrow. Yes. I, I'm, I'm fascinated because you're, when you're playing there, you're the offensive lineman for them. You're going to be as close to those guys as Absolutely. anyone, and each brings something very different yeah. to the table. Let's start with Lamar Jackson. Yeah. What was it like blocking for Lamar Jackson and, and having him as a leader on that team? Yeah, so the cool thing about my situation, too, is I come into different, different moments in these guys' careers, and I'm with Lamar for his first MVP, and I'm with Patrick Mahomes for his second MVP and his third for Super Bowl, and I'm with Joe Burrow when he's about to win this MVP here in the next year and, you know, get a Super Bowl, Super Bowl uh, championship as well. So uh, 
when I was with Lamar, we come in together as young rookies, man. We're 21, 22 years old in Baltimore. Uh, it's familiar territory for me, obviously, growing up there, my dad playing there. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the thing that sticks out the most for me is just how right away Lamar came in and was extremely dynamic. I remember our rookie minicamp first practice. They're calling him Magic Man, and the plays are hard. None of us barely understand the plays. It's, it's uh, Marty Morningwig. It's West Coast style of play. Yeah. The plays are long as hell. I can't make this up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, man, I mean, we're all out there confused, but Lamar's being Lamar. And what you see now, he's done it in high school, Little League, college, now at the pros. Uh, but, man, he was a tremendous leader. He was a tremendous man. Um, I mean, still got the utmost respect for him. Still talk to him. So, yeah. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I mean, now, you know, obviously, I mean, we got to keep it real. This is the best quarterback in the NFL right yeah. now. I think he's proven it. Um, yes. You know, uh, he's on a Brady-like yeah. path for, yeah. for Super Bowls yeah. also yeah. right now. Absolutely, man. I mean, he's just – he's another guy that is – the field is small to him. You know, that's – it's – the field isn't 100 yards to, to Patrick Mahomes. You know what I mean? The field Never is, heard it described that way. It's 60 that's yards. A good way to describe to it. Patrick, he, it. There isn't a throw he can't make. There isn't anything he can't do when improvising. There is no schemes they can call that put him out of position. Um, he is a guy that loves the game. Um, he's got a ton of respect for the game. His approach is unreal. Uh, everything that you see on Sundays, it, you see it in practice. You see it in OTAs and a walkthrough. You see it in the meeting rooms. Uh, that's that's who he is through and through, all the way through, man. And um, I just I always respected his work ethic. Is Joe Burrow as cool as he seems? Oh, even cooler, <laughs> even cooler. Joe bro. cool, Joe yeah. cool, Joe cool, man. One of the coolest guys you'll be around. <laughs> uh, such a different personality in such a good way. Um, you know, my uh, I got a three-year-old son. My son loves Joe Shiesty. He'll tell you any day. He loves he loves Joe Shiesty, man. And uh, Joe is awesome. Man. He's a great leader. Uh, I think the one thing I, I love about Joe is he's got such a great understanding for the quarterback position. You know, with his dad being a coach, and you know, he has such a neat way of applying that. And it seems like his timing when talking to the team is always right. And he's so emotional in terms of uh, the way that he expresses himself when he does. And, you know, when you're dealing with grown men, uh, you know, when you're, you guys are working together and one of you guys had, gets emotional about a topic in terms of whether that be an angry emotion or a sad emotion or a happy, uh, it makes the message be communicated that much clearer. And I think that's what Joe does a great job of. Orlando Brown Jr. with us, who turned yeah. down $139 million <laughs> from the Kansas City Chiefs. Now It just looks like that on paper, I swear. Well, so. you had, at the time, <laughs> yeah. it would have set a record for offensive tackles, guaranteed money, uh, yeah. and signing bonus. Yep. And uh, actually, I think the signing bonus would have been the most for any player. Yes, but I still set the signing bonus record. No, you did, but yes. you, you bet on yourself. Yes. And I, I'm, at the time, I think $139 million, Yeah. and you still had to play. What would you have done if you got hurt? Well, I mean... Those are the things that obviously crossed my mind. And you how know, did you decide that? Uh, man, it was it's it's hard. You ever seen 139 million dollars? No, no, I have not. But you signed more. Yeah, no, I know. What does it look yeah, like? Yeah, you have. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a lot of zeros on the paper. What's it like? Did you see that? that? Hell yeah! You know, you get on the phone and your mom's like, "Sign that." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you but, have to tell them you turned it down. <laughs> I gotta tell her I turned it down. Like you know, but uh, oh, it was it was it was hard, man. It was hard to look at that. You know, it was hard to think about the injuries. Uh, for me personally, though. I, I just, I tried to live in the moment. And that was something that I felt like I had to commit to myself in terms of that, that contract situation was I'm going to live in the moment. I'm going to live play by play, okay. day by day, game by game. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to worry about that. The second play of that same season, I have a, I have a great two tibialis strain in my, in my load leg, the leg I push off of. So I'm blocking Marcus Golden. He makes a late inside move. I go to 
go to make a move. It, they say it would have damn near broke my whatever it was, that the tibia or something like that. But yeah. because of all the tennis I was doing, those muscles were really strong. And so I, uh, I actually end up straining like the tibialis, which is the, the muscle that raises your ankle and your foot up and down. And uh, so I played on that, man, and it, that took 11, 12 weeks to heal that season. And um, I, I did this to my finger against Tampa Bay. It's stuck like this the rest of my life. So You um, can't fix that. Did they well, fuse it? Yeah, no, they have not fused it. But you oh, can wow. Fix that. Yeah, yeah. I do you have feeling could. in that finger? I do have feeling. I have complete feeling, but wow. I, can't, wow. I can't do that with it. So, but, I mean, those are things that you deal with, man, when you play ball. And I just I told myself I was going to live in the moment. Uh, pain is what the pain is. So um, – you don't have to tell me how much you weigh. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're done playing, are yep. you going to trim down the way some of these offensive tackles? You have, seen, have you seen Taylor Lewan? I have. I, I just, I personally, man, I am a fat ass, man. I, I'm a fat <laughs> ass at heart, man. You I play like tennis, the, though. Hell yeah, I love, I love being active, but like I also like to eat. And, yeah, fair enough. Uh, you know, I'm going to do my job, man, to make sure that it's I'm the being <laughs> active that allows you to <laughs> eat yeah, yes, and, yes. and be the fat ass that you want to be. Exactly. Right? So I will maintain Goals. this weight yeah. the rest of my life. On 140 million. I'll stand on that. I, <laughs> I too am a fat ass at heart, so yeah. I totally get it. Um, went to Oklahoma. Yep. You were committed to Tennessee for a time. I was, man. right? I was. Now Oklahoma going into the SEC. Yeah. Josh Heupel going back to Oklahoma in year one. Yep. Conference game, which yep. is, is going to be wow. quite a, a dramatic scene. Um, what happened it, it, with, yeah. with between Tennessee to, to Oklahoma when you ended up going there? So it is such a crazy story. How much time do we have? We have time? Yes. We got as much time as you want. All right. Well, we have time. So um, it is a whole story. So I'm committed to Tennessee um, on my 17th birthday. For So I commit to, commit to them in May of 2013. And signing day is obviously February of 2018. Butch Jones. Butch Jones. Yeah. Okay. And right. so brick brick. Um, I, I've never been someone that comes off as unintelligent, doesn't know how to speak, right. all of those different things. So right. they never thought to check my transcripts. And I, in high school, lost my dad my sophomore, first uh, semester of my sophomore year, my 10th grade year. Um, and, man, honestly, I didn't give a f about school. Yeah. I just, I, I did not, I hate that about myself during the time, but I did not apply myself in terms of school. And so there'd be a lot of times, obviously I was going through traumatic things, but missing class, skipping class, it comes to uh, the last semester of my senior year, I've got an accumulative of a 1.7 GPA. Wow. Uh, I took the ACT, wrote my name, maybe answered a few questions. By the way, that doesn't seem possible talking to you. I, I, yeah, that, I know. That you would be that bad of a student in high school. <laughs> you just checked out. I mean, I mean, that, as a, I did, I mean I that as a compliment. Yes, yeah. no, I appreciate that, man. And so I, um, I've got a 13 on the ACT. I, I can't remember if I just wrote my name and fell asleep or if I uh, Christmas treated. And they actually see my transcript. And my head coach of high school, Mark Fleetwood, uh, he looks at me and says, hey, they requested they requested the transcripts. Just, hey, I'm just letting you know it's going to get wild. And I, so, I, you know, I, took, I took, took his word. I go up for my official visit three days before signing day or four days before to signing Tennessee. day. To Tennessee. To yep. Tennessee. And uh, we get in a meeting. We're the last people to get in a meeting. And I'm with my mom and my brothers and uh, Bush Jones. And I can't remember uh, the, the personnel guy or academic guy that was there, but he's like, hey, you're not going to qualify for Division One football in the NCAA. We have a scholarship for you to Garden City Communi Community College. And I remember telling Bush Jones that, you know, hey, um, I know a lot of guys that have these scholarships. I know guys that are signing that aren't going to graduate high school. So, you know, what's the deal? And he just told me straight up, he's like, hey, well, you know, we don't, we don't have a scholarship for you because we don't think you're going to qualify. 
And so when I got back to Atlanta, I talked to my head coach, Mark Fleetwood. He rips Bush Jones a new one uh, because what ended up happening was they had 33 commits. They only had 31 scholarships. And so the two guys that missed out was me and another kid named Jerome Dews that actually ended up going to Marshall, I believe, um, who actually had to go to junior college. Um, I think he was in a similar situation academically. And um, so, <laughs> so all of that happens. I'm back in Atlanta. Mark Fleetwood sits me down. He asks me, he says, hey, Tennessee, out the window. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? And I, uh, I, I look at him. I tell him I had never visited Oklahoma. Uh, none of the coaches had come to see me. Uh, I told him University of Oklahoma, and he asked me why. I just was like, man, I, I feel like that's where God wants me to be. And sure enough, we get on the phone with Bob Stoops. We call up. We talk to Miss Julie at the front desk. She puts us on the phone with Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel puts us on the phone with Bob Stoops. Wow. And Bob Stoops says to me, cool. uh, if, if I send you this scholarship, you, you have to sign it. And I said, Coach, you send me a scholarship to University of Oklahoma, I'll sign it. I, took my, I signed it on signing day. I took my official visit after I signed in April, like April 18th, April 19th. And, uh, yeah, man, rest is history. So, uh, by the way, that was worth the long story. Yeah, that that was a good one. Um, did you uh, – so Oklahoma, no problem qualifying there? No. So it's crazy. So <laughs> it, my first thought is, that's okay. my point. That's, yeah. my, that's my point that yeah. I'm saying is, you know, I was, I was, in, a, I was in a tough situation, man, in, in terms of that. And, you know, it, I hate the way that it was handled. But I, put, I did that to myself, you know, not taking school seriously. So, How much is this bracelet worth? Uh, right? Not much right here. This is probably a $2,500 bracelet. Not oh. that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. <laughs> Just twenty five hundred. Yeah, yeah, computer. Let's put that on uh, red or black. Let's go put it on there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, you can't. Or yeah. can you? I can. You can. I can't. But if you don't, you don't need. You can, you can but you don't need to be seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> However you want to put it. Uh, yeah. Hey, man. Hey. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, of course. Awesome, I appreciate man. you guys, man. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Appreciate you, man. Thank you, Great man. to meet you. Seriously, man. Appreciate you guys. Orlando Brown Jr. Come back on the show, man. I will. I will. We'll we'll catch up again. How about this guy? Hell yeah. Former chief. Bengal. You mentioned yep. the Ravens, but yep. the yep. Chiefs going for the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's probably bitter about it, but he doesn't want to admit it. No, no. Hey, no, stay no, tuned. No. Uh, more coming <laughs> here on Hot Mike with Honey Withrow on the Outkick Network. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Outkicks Hot Mike with Huddy Withrow rolls on. Super Bowl 58 Radio Row. Clay Travis has made it to Radio Row yet again. This is uh, my, I was counting, this is my 12th Super Bowl Radio Row. Wow. Um, What is this for for us, Jeff? This is like 18. I mean, that's. I think the end of the 2004 season was my first. So we're we're coming up on uh, 20 years. Veteran status. I didn't didn't come in. The first Super Bowl Radio Row I attended was the Tyree helmet catch. Oh, yeah. Which was 2007, I think. Yeah. It feels like. That was Arizona. Yeah. yeah. I was there with first, one, first one I went to was Indianapolis. Um, and the only one that I haven't been to since, I think that was 12. Yes. Uh, was the 21 where you had to have the COVID shot. And basically, I don't know that they really had a radio row in that Tampa. That was L.A. They, it was, was in Tampa. LA. You were, 
LA was the next year. LA was 22. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, like yeah. January, LA, February of 22. The, uh, you had to have the Vax card everywhere you went out in LA. Yeah, I used Hutton's because we look enough alike. <laughs> so, uh, to, by I the way, uh, that's it, the only time I ever got asked for a Vax card in my life. Well, I got asked once in New York going to an advertiser meeting. Uh, but then also uh, in L.A. a couple of times, and so I pretended I was Hutton. Might I also, we talked about this earlier, someone last night told Hutton that he had a very symmetrical gray in his beard, like on each side it was perfectly symmetrical. I can say right now, looking at Clay's beard up close, it's very symmetrical. How do I you have the same gray patches on each side? I mean, this is a legit question, and it appears to happen for almost all men. I don't understand why the beard goes gray first before. Yeah. Like, why would patches. that? Yeah, but why would that? But why would you not have it happen on your hair? I don't but, know. Because my thought would be, I, I, I don't know. I would be fascinated to know why. But I, I seem to have noticed that virtually every man goes gray in the beard first. How do you? How, how would you respond to a man telling you, "Hey, man, you have a very symmetrical gray"? I, I take any compliment anywhere I can get it, especially about physical appearance. It's a, it's a, it's a weird thing to say I mean, from one man to another man. It is. Maybe he was hitting on you. Maybe that's, maybe that's gay code. You didn't know what it meant. Could be. It was yeah. Taylor the Law. <laughs> next, thing, <laughs> next thing you know, you're supposed to be just making out. I, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Uh, a little bit different vibe there, from Indianapolis to here, from your first Super Bowl to Vegas, when you look at uh, the well, Super Bowl here. To me, the, the most interesting thing about this is I started in sports media when you couldn't say anything about gambling. Yeah. Right? They wouldn't even give the, uh, they wouldn't give the lines on television – if you were making picks, uh, you would have to. Uh, you would have to. By the way, have one of you shared um, yeah. the uh, the show so I can retweet it? Yeah. What's the best way for me to retweet this? I mean, I got to find. Is it up the on Outkick? Just go. I, I'm. Uh, I, I've posted, I see. It. I've retweeted. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Um, so, uh, so it used to be that they ran from gambling. It wasn't very long ago. You guys probably remember that Tony Romo got in trouble yeah, for coming right. to an event out here. The NFL said, you can't go. And now he's going to be calling the game. So, I mean, uh, so it's kind of crazy to think about that. Um, but, and now they're going to have – we'll see whether the A's end up here. But you've got the Raiders. Uh, you've got the uh, Golden Knights. Sounds like they're well on the way to getting an NBA team. So how about the A's? The, the, the mayor yeah. said, you're better off staying in Oakland. That's not a good thing to hear if you're great, expecting to move. It's a great thing for Nashville. Could be. It, because you, if, if you do an expansion team in Las Vegas, that you would add another team in Nashville's next up, right? So, yeah. What I, don't I've been, I don't know if we're ready as a city for it. I can't wait to see that happen. Though. What I have been told was that they wanted one west of the Mississippi and one east of the Mississippi, and that that was the most likely way. And it looks like they have – I actually thought it was good if they went to Vegas because then that would open up two expansion cities. Right? You're right. Yeah. Um, and maybe Portland, before Portland lost its mind, was going to get it, or Salt Lake City, or somewhere like that. And then Nashville would be competing basically with Charlotte to see which of those cities would get an MLB team, would be my analysis. Clay, i got a couple legal questions for you. One, uh, the kid's family, uh, the blackface photo at Deadspin, yeah. for the Chiefs fan, suing. Uh, reading the complaint, we were talking about, about it earlier, how much merit is to it? And are they going to, if not win, at least settle? With, with so I think, they, I think they have a really good case. Um, it's a little bit complicated. As a general rule, when it comes to defamation cases like those, you would analyze someone as whether they're a public figure or not. And generally speaking, a nine-year-old kid would not be a public figure. For instance, no. right. you or me or anybody that is doing a radio show uh, surrounding the Super Bowl would be a public figure. 
every player on the Super Bowl field, any NFL player, you'd be a public figure. Um, usually nine-year-olds are not. Now, the one complexity there is they took a photo, still image, from inside of a stadium. So do you give away some elements of your privacy when you're in a stadium? I would still argue no. It was a CBS broadcast yeah, that they but, took the, but the image But what from. they did was comment on that picture. Yep. I saw Bobby uh, Barack tweet, and I'm not sure if he's written this yet, but that he almost immediately notified Deadspin that their picture was not accurate, and they're claiming now, oh, we didn't know for 11 days about this, and there's actually evidence that well, they knew almost immediately. Yeah. So um, I would think that they have a very good claim. I don't know how many assets Deadspin has as a part of, I think, the Gawker Media Group, and that's always the challenge. Maybe they have, um, I would think, insurance. But if I had the choice between being on the Deadspin side legally or the kid's side, yeah. I would rather be on the kid's side. I think they have the better legal argument. That's the way a but, lot of lawyers think about it. I mean, I would think, though, this one is a no-brainer for me because they, they said he was in blackface and they called him a racist. Yeah. And... Uh, he's red on the other side, right? It was just the black side of, yeah, the, yeah. of the face paint. And he's has Native American her- heritage, right? Yeah, like, look. But they didn't look into that. There is a and certain... And then they kept everything up on the side. There's a certain element of protection for media because everybody doesn't get everything wrong. Uh, right. Sometimes you're going to get things wrong. But the amount of time that they had that story up factors in. Uh, you can see the picture of the kid that was just up on the screen there. All of that becomes a part of the analysis by and large, of, uh, of how the decision was made. How about the fact, real quick, uh, that they took it down when they threatened legal action? Does that help their case? Yeah. I mean, they probably, okay. as a part of the claim, usually you say, and we, you're defamatory, we want you to pull this down. I think that actually helps Deadspin, not the because other they side. Yeah. Okay. Now, I mean, they could have a complete argument and say, we're not even changing anything because we think our reporting is accurate. And right. then if they pulled it down, that would not help them. But my analysis here would be, um, you know, if you say something's defamatory, you're, the goal of the journalist should be to get it right. Yep. Um, and usually what happens in these cases is there's a settlement. It doesn't go to trial. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, do you remember the, uh, the kid at the Washington, uh, at the Lincoln Memorial? I don't remember his name off the top of oh, my head. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, but the he was kid in the that MAGA was, hat. Yeah. He was they in the framed rock. it like he was in a fight with what, like people protesting. Like that he was like racist and saying something to Native bad Americans to, uh, at a, to Native at a Americans rally. Yeah. Or like black Hebrews of America or whatever it was. Uh, that kid sued everybody. And all of those cases got settled, but we don't know what the terms of the settlement were. And I did see, because OutKick had this story up, a guy who calls games just won a $25 million verdict. I because I think it was an Oklahoma newspaper. Yep misidentified him as someone who had said something racist on the broadcast and they left it up for a certain amount of time he huh. sued them for defamation they got the identification wrong he hadn't done it at all and he won a 25 million dollar jury verdict i think that happened in the last week so both of those stories are a, a little bit i believe it was a covington catholic kid i can't remember what his name was uh but covington catholic a, a school in kentucky um I think just across the river from Cincinnati uh, was where that kid went. And so those are two recent media screw-up stories that 
would be somewhat analogous to the situation going on with the dead spin kid. Walk us through the court's decision to not grant the temporary restraining order to Tennessee and Virginia against the NCAA, but also in saying you're not getting the TRO, but if this continues, you're likely to win the antitrust suit. I don't have it in front of me right now. I used to know it well. But one of the criteria of getting a temporary restraining order is that you're going to show irreparable harm. In other words, if you don't get this uh, restraining order, if you're not allowed to do something, then there's going to be irreparable harm. What this judge said, and I think there's probably some truth to it, is nothing has happened to any player yet. Yeah. They could still sue in the event that the NCAA tried to do something. What's interesting here to me... So if they from, made Nico Yamaleava ineligible, then another lawsuit yes. could happen, and that would be the TRO. That's right. Okay. Um, and also, um, what seems to have happened here, basically, is Tennessee called the NCAA's bluff. They didn't wait for some sort of allegation of impropriety, for some sort of notice of allegations. I think they thought, hey, there's nothing here. We're going to get a clean bill of health. They didn't. So they went straight to court to seek a declaratory judgment, basically, saying, hey, if this is applied by the NCAA, it will be an antitrust violation. And what the judge said, and I think this was very significant, the judge said, uh, I think you're likely to win your antitrust argument. And maybe, and again, this would be procedurally, unless something's happened in the last couple of hours, craziness has been going on all day, by the way, uh, not just in sports, um, but unless... There is a, uh, unless there has been some new thing here, I think the NCAA may have decided not to actually follow through because they're afraid of the precedent that they could set. What about if the NCAA ruled him ineligible right the day before the season? Does the TRO go, get granted that quickly? Well, I mean, uh, again, thinking analogously, this is what Jim Harbaugh tried to do. Right? Jim Harbaugh, yeah. when they suspended him with the NCAA, yeah. Yeah. went and argued, I need a TRO. And his argument, I thought, should have been granted. Because it was, if you suspend me, I think the first game was Penn State. Yeah. And the, the argument yeah. was, if you suspend me for Penn State, I can never get this game back. Right? There is no opportunity for, if I'm later found to be right, there is no opportunity for me yeah. to be rectified that because sense. that game yeah. goes away. So I think what would happen if, for instance – the day before the season started, they suddenly said, hey, you're ineligible for six games or something. Tennessee would run straight to the courthouse. Then they would have an argument of irreparable harm, I would think. Also, you probably would have an argument that the NCAA wasn't behaving in good faith well, because to they, do it at the they, last minute. They did, they did it while he was on a flight to Penn State. Oh, Harbaugh. Harbaugh. Yeah, but they knew that process was ongoing. So the but investigation so was underway. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that they would, would be, do that based that, on how this is all gone. Then you would have a clear claim of irreparable harm, and you would have damages because yeah. what the attorney general is saying is Nico yeah. or any other player in Virginia or Tennessee has a, a property right to be able to monetize their, uh, their, their earnings. And so if you are taking them out of the game, then that is something where they're going to sue and you don't have the authority to do that under Tennessee or Virginia law. And also there would be damages uh, in a significant way in the event Tennessee and Virginia are arguing and you that guys, occurred. You guys will know better. I don't think Tennessee has a road game until Oklahoma, right? They would be uh, in state. I, I think, yeah. I think, I think UTC, it's a neutral site NC game state. against NC State okay. and Charlotte. Yeah, that's cool. right. Yeah, that's the one out, out of state. Um, Nick Saban to college game day is a no-brainer yeah. to me throughout. I that's think been everybody rumored for a long that, time. Right? Yeah. 
and it, it is. It's, it's going to be great. Yeah, it will be. Uh, I think he'll be really good. You know, I was with Urban Meyer last night, not to name drop. Yeah. Um, uh, but Urban Meyer, a lot of people said, hey, I don't know how he's going to do on television because he kind of had a reputation sometimes with the media as being brusque, similar to Saban, yeah. not always incredibly engaging. Um, and I think Saban will be really, really good in the same way that I think Urban Meyer will be good. I think once he doesn't have to worry about what he says being used against him in a competitive way, a lot of these guys are willing to be far more interesting. I, I think he could be the de facto commissioner of college football in this role. He could look into a camera and voice his opinion if he's going to be honest yeah. about it, and college football will follow his lead. They don't trust sinking. They think there's something going on with ESPN, and this is the same thing. But I, I want to, I, we need a leader, and he can – Herb Street does a good job of being critical. Yeah. You know, he calls out a lot of programs, like it or not. Saban doesn't have to do that. I just hope he gives solutions and issues about I, I think on. they will use him as, to your point, sort of the, uh, uh, the, the wise old sage yeah. of the college football universe. I also think they've got to figure out a way to pivot. Um, Lee Corso is going to be, you yeah. know, he's a legend, but he's probably 84 To me, it makes 85. sense to be this, this be Lee Corso swan song, one year with Saban, yeah, limited role. Right. And then and Saban is that, by the, way. the coach on I also think that. it's a little bit interesting just thinking about how game day is going to be organized. Pat McAfee feels to me more like the Lee Corso character. Yeah. Because he's going to put on a helmet. He's going to, like, create a big stir. I don't see Saban ever putting on a mascot head. Can you imagine? And, like, uh, and, doing the wave. You know, wrestle, yeah. Or wrestling he with. He puts uh, on the Ugga. Wrestling yeah. with. Bill, Give me that bulldog. And he's holding the bulldog. With, yeah. yeah. While wrestling with Bill Murray. <laughs> so I think that's probably the way that they're thinking McAfee would basically be Corso. <laughs> and then the, the, the new kind of character there, Saban will be a different kind of character. I cannot wait until Saban picks against Bama in the first game they do, if that, if that were to happen. Oh Just the reaction to that it. would be incredible. He may have to with the direction. It's a good question. Has go. Urban ever picked against Ohio State in a big game? I don't know. I don't think you so. You were partying with him last I night. Mean, should have asked him. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I, I did. I mentioned, um, like, hey, you and Saban are going head-to-head for a long time. Now you're going to be going head-to-head on yeah. pregame shows. Are you, and he thought that was pretty funny. Are you partying with Trump tonight? He's in town, right, in the city? Donald Trump is? That's what we were told. I didn't know that. He's got something going on with him. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, well, whatever I, whatever party we were going to. Clay's now not going well, to that Well, no, I mean. This thing is driving me crazy on your head. Yeah. yeah it falls uh, out. There, just put it there. there the reason why I'm surprised by that is uh, he did a press conference several hours ago at Mar-a-Lago. Okay. So they had a Supreme Court case today. Okay. Um, we're and, just repeating what we were told it back here. Yeah. Well, we're, I will tell you literally. By our, by our director of PR. So here are the three <laughs> people that have texted me in the last few minutes. My wife, my 15-year-old, and Donald Trump Jr., so, uh, so I will. Town. I will ask Junior if if his dad's going to be in town um, or not. Um, that would be a hell of a coup because they wouldn't let him do the Super Bowl interview. And right. I don't know if you guys even saw this. One hour ago, uh, former President Trump delivers remarks in Las Vegas. Wow, he's here. Okay, I had no idea. Um, so he must have hopped on a plane this morning, right after know. right after the press. I, conference. I love the name drop so far: Urban Meyer, Donald Trump Jr. Anyone else you'd like to mention before, we, before we sign off? I mean, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> go talk to my boy Trump and see if he's gonna stay the night. Yeah. Um, I. But so I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but this has been one of the most chaotic days in American political history. Uh, you had a Supreme Court case about whether Trump could be on the ballot, and then the special counsel report came out saying basically that Joe Biden is not mentally fit to be able to stand trial in his own classified documents case. 
And I guess we're gone. Yeah. I'm glad you could hey, do that. Thanks yes. for coming by, man. Appreciate That's super it. loud. I think uh, we're going to do the fade now. Yeah, check yeah. out the fade. Clay. With yes. uh, Thank Kelly. You, Thank you, guys. Up. Also, the five spot, Dockage uh, also, and uh, Charlie in the morning. We're back at it as well. 4 o'clock Eastern, live from Radio Row. Super Bowl 58, hot by with Hunter Withrow. I'm going to find out where Trump is. Yeah. Then Clay will go. It did just. Join us Friday.